This is RDQI. Ryan, there's really no shortage of ways we could talk about how our thinking will change after the pandemic. But let's narrow the focus and talk about how do how will the way that we think about health change post COVID-19 pandemic? Sure. Yeah. I mean, because obviously everyone's thinking to some level at the moment that our health is being affected by the current pandemic. Clearly, hundreds of thousands of people are dead in this country, across the world. Um, but even still, there's people that are going to be worried about the after effects of being infected. Um, and, you know, it's actually interesting. This kind of this tickles my historian bone a little bit because you can even go back in history and kind of look at how people behaved after uh, epidemics, at least, and kind of draw some comparisons to our contemporary life. So, like, one example is um, everyone's familiar with the Black Death, the bubonic plague. Um, that was a series of epidemics over about, you know, a couple decades that hit mo- pretty much all of Europe, killed about a third of the living population at the time. Um, it was profoundly, it profoundly shaped the world. I think I read somewhere that it took almost 200 years, estimated 200 years for Europe to regain its population that it lost during this time. Um, and obviously that's way different than this. A, those are epidemics, so they're localized uh, increases in infections, right? Whereas we're experiencing a pandemic, everyone is capable of getting contracting the COVID virus right now, right? Right. And I also don't know this, but I kind of think that, you know, we aren't actually losing population. We're just slowing the growth. Fortunately, even though there have been, you know, over a million people across the world that have died, it really isn't that bad on the grand scale of things when you think about it. Um, not to sound cynical. But um, still, I'm sure there's going to be a heightened awareness of antiviral remedies, things that help you out, stave off uh, other viral infections, especially as we get worried about, okay, what's the next virus going to be that comes through? Um, you know, people, people might think this is the first pandemic I've ever seen in my lifetime. It's probably not true. H1N1 was a pandemic too. Um, fortunately, it didn't cause nearly as much havoc. But it's not like this is not going to happen again in our lifetime. It's totally likely that it could, um, which is probably how you felt if you're living in the 1300s in Europe. You're just like, oh, plague came through here last year. Um, I hope it doesn't come through here again. And so people started creating these remedies to kind of, you know, uh, embolden the body to fight off the plague. You know, it's 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 funny to say, to look back and to look at some of these ridiculous recipes like, okay, we're going to distill, uh, you know, a tincture of the grass of the whatever plant and drink it, and that's going to prevent the bubonic plague. Um, but if we fast forward to modern times, and by modern times, I mean, you know, 2020, soon to be 2021, we still have similar ideas not about the same things we look back at the at the grass of the whatever tree and think uh, that's ridiculous but i mean people consume herbal remedies all the time echinacea mm-hmm. for immunity ginkgo biloba for b- biloba for memory um 
you know, the whole field of nootropics, the whole field of homeopathy, mm-hmm. homeopathy. Don't know how to pronounce that. I like homeopathy. Yeah, it sounds like a little bit more scientific, which is hilarious. Funny, funny that you that. mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that being said, I am. <laughs> I mean, I'll I'll admit that there are certain elements of the herbal remedy slash supplement market that I kind of I buy into. Um, whether for the right or the wrong reasons, but um, you know the idea of of using the the natural world, quote unquote, to enhance your health or your cognition or you know whatever. Um, there's something that's fundamentally appealing to that to a lot of people, right? Because this market is massive. Yeah. Huge. Billions upon billions of dollars are spent every year just in the United States on herbal supplements. You know, go to the the drink section of any grocery store, any Mm -hmm. grocery store, and you'll find drinks with maca root, with functional mushrooms like reishi and lion's mane, um, kombucha, um... I mean, the list goes on. <laughs> sure. Uh, yerba mate tea, which is, you know, has the, the caffeine component. Um, and all of these things are touted for different, uh, whatever, qualities, cures, enhancements, whatnot. Um, but it's just, it's so funny that, like, we we think back to what you were talking about, these distillates. Um and how ridiculous they sound. And yet, when you really think about how they differ from what we do today, is it really that different? <laughs> I don't think it is. I mean, so it was, so for this, for this episode, I kind of went back and refreshed my memory on some of these things. But I think there's a, I think the words that we use surrounding the liquor industry and its production give us a pretty good insight into maybe a little bit about how people thought about liquor back then. First off, it wasn't called liquor. Um, in fact, I don't think in Western Europe, the word alcohol was used until I think like the 1600s or so. Um, so Hmm. before then everything tended to be called spirits. Well, basically it was this, you have wine and beer because those have been around since humanity has organized itself. We've already talked about that. Check out beer and civilization. Um, but then there's a third category and it tended to be called spirits because it was a distillate like the essence of something, right? So it was like the spirit of wormwood was being distilled, let's say. Um, and so, but the reason that that came about was this really funny, well, we find it funny, first century idea of, hey, we want to turn non-gold metals into gold. We want to perform alchemy. And alchemy is like the forefather of chemistry, basically. And so in this hunt to make new materials, basically to turn anything into gold, people learned a lot of different things that they could do like, oh, we can actually isolate mercury or, oh, we can actually isolate sulfur. We can get the the pure essence of something um, through a dis- distillation process. And I think that says volumes about why these people at the time could have believed that, yes, I am taking the essence, like the literal essence of this organism that my, you know, my family or our culture has been consuming just the plant itself but now I'm getting the pure essence of it. Surely that will heal me. 
which I think <laughs> kind of points to the fact that they're on the cutting edge of technology at the time. And kind of like we, you know, we've talked about before, sometimes the technological ability that humans have available to them dictates their mindset, right? So just like no one would have ever had a distillation of wormwood until they knew how to distill something. Um, just like uh, as we talked in a couple of our music podcasts, until certain recording technologies are available, those phenomena didn't actually exist in the world yet. That's a really cumbersome fuck up right there. <laughs> I just wanted to punctuate it with the word fuck. Okay. Got it. So we can see through, hit, you know, kind of looking back through history a little bit about maybe what people were thinking at the time. And those thoughts still kind of live with us in our vocabulary today. So yeah, I mean, it, it's funny how when you think about the the spirits or the you know the hard alcohols that we drink today, they're all kind of vestiges of that of that thought process. Like you know why gin is distilled with all the things that it's distilled with? Well, because you know every single one of those twenty four herbs and spices or whatever they say in the commercials <laughs> right. has some sort of you know medical or, you know, supposed medical property in the 16th or 17th century when it was invented, mm-hmm. 17th century. Yeah, the word gin um, comes from the, I think the Dutch word at the time was genevere, which is where we get uh, bol genevere from. Mm-hmm. And then we anglicized that in England, at least, and made it, um, Madame Jennifer, I believe, was like a caricature name for gin. And then that was simplified to just gin. So it's, it's, it's all like one of our favorite drinks, Dave, Bekarovka is very <laughs> much right in this wheelhouse of an herbal supplement that just happens to be in liquor form. That was a shameless plug. We're trying to get the uh, Czech listenership up. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and here's the hilarious part. And I think a great segue into where I, the point I want to make next in the Czech Republic, Bekarovka is touted pretty universally, in ter- like within the Czech Republic, as a medical beverage. Still to this day, mm-hmm. doctors will prescribe a shot of Bekarovka every day for things like the cold. <laughs> All right. Right. But the thing is, so if if we take the argument that herbal supplements are a bunch of misguided nonsense and you know the actual practice of of western medicine is you know really the only thing with with credibility behind it in terms of um you know scientific research and and studies and in efficacy Mm -hmm. i think the herbal supplement market today well, so let me ask you this. A lot of the a lot of the medicines that are, you know, pharmaceutical medicines that are derived in western medicine are derived from plants, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And the herbal supplement market is I think it's like I mean, I guess that's where alternate medicine, the term alternate medicine comes from. It's trying to it's trying to basically create um, our own non-Western medicine medicines. And 
you know, whether whether rightly or wrongly, I think that there is some truth to the statement that Western medicine is curative rather than preventative. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a react it's reactionary versus proact proactionary. <laughs> being reactive. reactive versus proactive let's let's knock that one out there we go uh, <laughs> um and so people who who focus on healthy living look at western medicine and say it's not it's not like a distrust it's not like oh i don't believe that if my appendix burst i need to go get it removed but it's more of a okay but this this subset is not going to help me live a healthier life if i'm healthy already so I'm going to dive into this world of alt medicine and try and find something that's going to, you know, enhance my already healthy mind or boost my already healthy immune system. Right. Right. No, I think we definitely live in the age of we need to find a gain anywhere we can because it's a very competitive world out there. Yeah, I mean the the area that I kind of buy into and and you know, I'm sure you're just going to knock me down like crazy here, but um the area of nootropics, um which which is basically cognitive enhancement. So, um you know, functional they call them functional mushrooms or adaptogens, which when you look up what that word really means, it, it means like helps you. <laughs> it's pretty pretty vague. Uh-huh. Um which definitely points to First point, you know yep. the thank you marketing. for making it for me <laughs> the marketing of some of these things but with with uh, let's take lion's mane mushroom as an example there's a famous mycologist by the name of Paul Stamets um, who is a huge proponent of these functional mushrooms and you have to point out also that he has a uh, a supplement company that produces you know these um, you know that sells these functional mushrooms okay so he has an angle for sure. Right. But he is also a, you know, practicing mycologist and, you know, points to all of these studies that, you know, these things actually help. Um, and he's also been, you know, very involved in the stage three trials for some of the psychoactive substances that we talked about in the coffee episode, mm-hmm. um, you know, that are that are being brought forward for curing um, mental illness and PTSD and things like that. So there is... Some put them in heavy quotations for now, scientific credibility around these things. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got you. And and I'm not gonna totally just try and rain on your parade here because I think my honest oh, you answer can't. Would, <laughs> they're not cheap, so please do. I think at the end of the day, my my honest opinion would be more along the lines of it's too early to tell. We don't know enough. Um we don't we don't have enough research to back up any of these claims. My other argue, other end of my argument, though, is that I also don't think the industry cares too much about explaining itself um, as a whole, because it's already a multi-billion dollar industry that's projected to grow year over year over year. So why do more research if you can just sell more? And so until, until you can bring me evidence that, no, there's ongoing research that's really enhancing the veritability or our ability to verify that this product is actually doing what it says it may be able to do, I'm totally on board. I just extreme, I have an extreme doubt that that's going to happen. You know what I mean? Well, so I have two points, two argument points against that. Number one, um, we don't know, as we pointed out a couple times now on this podcast, we don't know 
why acetaminophen works. True, but we do know that it does work. How? Right, because it because it reduces pain. Which how do we measure pain? Well, part of its function is it helps dilate blood vessels. So that's part of what gives you a headache. Um, is mm-hmm. there is we can see some of the effects of it, right? And it's been so ubiquitous that, yes, it's used in hospitals every day. I don't know that echinacea has done that. And mainly because I'm not sure that people, I don't, I don't believe a doctor of Western medicine. So let's be clear. They're going to be suspect about a supplement anyways, um, just by their training, how they're brought up as doctors. They will be inherently suspect probably. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a body of evidence that the, that this Western doctor I'm talking about would be like, yeah, well, we've seen echinacea, you know, time and time again, kind of do this. So we don't really know what's happening, but we know it works. I just, I don't know if that's true. I don't, if there's any doctors listening right in or DM us on Instagram to let us know. But I just, that's where I think there's the the link break is that sure. We don't know how acetaminophen Tylenol works. We, we can't define the mechanism of action. Um, but we do know that it does work and there's a lot of evidence suggesting that it does work. Even if we don't understand the actual, when you get down to the super granule level, the actual mechanism of action, which I think is why, I mean, again, this is why, and now we should also be clear here, dietary supplements aren't regulated by the FDA or at least they kind of are, but not like any other drug would be because they're considered dietary supplements, not yeah, a form of they're, medicine. They're regulated in the fact that they test them to make sure they're not toxic. no, I don't even think they do that. You should. I, I mean, I've looked into it, and there's been maybe a, there's a high number of drugs. I can't tell you the data now. There were a surprisingly high number of drugs, or sorry, dietary dietary supplements that were found to have actual even drugs in them, like pharmaceutical grade drugs. Um, <laughs> which is to say, like, and I think the placebo effect is really at play here. But if you can really push the placebo effect a little bit, be like. Yes, this whatever, whatever, whatever pill is going to, you know, soothe you and calm you. And it turns out it has a little acetaminophen in it. Well, yeah, if you're just a person who's stressed out, a little bit of acetaminophen, although it's not probably good for you to take daily, will relax you a little bit because you're less likely to have a headache. Mm-hmm. So I, that's where it gets really dicey for me is that it's just, it's so, it's so vague. Right. The the problem with that though is that if it, so if I am a a lion's mane supplement manufacturer, there's no economic reason why I should fund more tests to understand its efficacy. Because if I do, it's not going to push more product, and it's going to be prohibitively expensive. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason why there's so much testing behind something like acetaminophen is every single doctor prescribes it probably at least once a day. In the hospital, I mean. Um, right. You know, yeah. but, mm-hmm. but there's, there's a, like a, a medical basis behind it. Just Western medicine doesn't really care to study something like lion's mane because, you know, it's touted as a cognitive enhancement, which like what disease are you trying to cure with that? Maybe some neurodegenerative diseases, but you know, it's, it's really low on the priority totem pole. Yeah. So 
these things might work, but nobody has nobody's willing to put money forward to study whether they really do or not because there's no incentive to do so. Right. No, I mean, right on board with you there. Why would any dietary supplement company invest in research to really verify what they're doing if they're not compelled to? You know, I mean, they might do some nominal studies, and I'm sure there are some very upstanding people who do that. But is it going to hit the depth of body of research that hits peer-reviewed nature and science and all these other journals that really says like, yep, lion's mane is, if, as long as you metabolize it this particular way, it will do wonders for you in the memory department. Um, <laughs> you know? And I mean, and I think it's also like, I'm not saying, hey, if you're taking nootropics, you're an idiot. You're wasting your money. I don't know. I'm, I'm just bringing up my questions about nootropics, right? Yeah. And I think, honestly, if, if you believe it works for you, and as long as it's not hurting you, and you feel comfortable spending your money that way, go for it. Like, great. You know, make your own choices. Um, and maybe that will help encourage this kind of, I don't know, research, but at least increased body of information for us to look through. I mean, because here's the other thing, right? We're talking about it, increase, it increases memory. Even neuroscientists are like, yeah, we still are kind of trying to figure out memory and how it actually, like, <laughs> how it works in the brain. I mean, neuroscience well, is really, right, is young, right? So it's it sounds like such a very, uh, very kind of, uh, it's weird to say this, but like sexy chic form of, of you know, capital S science. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, any neuroscientist, if you talk to them, would be like, yeah, we understand like less than 0.01% of how the human brain operates. Yeah, we're still and learning how much we don't know. that is a massive body of knowledge. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. We still are learning how much we don't know. Yeah. But I mean, again, it doesn't invalidate it. Just like I think all the, those people living in the 1300s drinking some form of a distilled uh, again, we don't even know how much alcohol was in this distillation. It could have been five proof. It could have been a hundred proof. We have no idea. There's no written records, right? Mainly because mm. we couldn't check proof until I think the 1700s. Um, so, so yeah, let's even do that. Like back in the 1300s, say like you and I are living in, I don't know, Vienna. And <laughs> we're like, okay, let's go get some distilled spirits to keep the plague away. Walk into the place where that's made. Yeah, right. Apothecary. Apo- probably an apothecary. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My life is complete. I use that word in a real sentence. Keep going. <laughs> and uh, we asked for two distillations of uh, wormwood because we keep using it. Two distillations of wormwood, please. Mm-hmm. We'd probably sit there and have an argument like, ah, oh, this isn't strong enough. Like it doesn't, it's not strong enough. Be like, no, no, Ryan, it's plenty strong because there would be no way to verify how much alcohol is in it or even how much. <laughs> of the herb is actually been distilled down and then put into this liquid, right? So no matter what phase of history we're talking about current day or centuries ago, there's always going to be these questions that can't be answered, probably. You know, so I'm, I'm going to tell a story about you. It's not, it's nothing too terrible. All right. All but right. I, I remember um, back in college, we were uh, living together briefly um, while you were doing a record for us. Mm-hmm. And you used to buy a big tub of yogurt every week. And you used to say, oh, yogurt's so good for you, all the probiotics and everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Now, I think that there's a little bit more scientific research behind the 
value of probiotics and gut health and digestive health and all that. A little bit, yep. But a little bit, a very, very little bit. Um, But that story, I'm sure everybody listening can point to something that either they've thought or that a close friend or family member has thought about something somewhere. You know, beet juice. Oh, beet juice is so good for you. Um, Oh, you know, banana or avocado is a superfood. Is there something fundamental to the human experience to want to believe these claims or want to believe that we're doing something incredibly healthy for ourselves? Is that, is that taking too wide of a swing? No, I I think there is. Um, I'd say most people like to have control or aspects of control in their life, right? Agency that they have a little bit of, at least a little bit of control over their future. And if, you're uncertain because literally millions of people are dying around you in the 1300s. And someone says, drink this, it will ward off evil, you know, these diseases. Depending on where you're at in life, you're probably going to be like, yeah, if I do this, it gives me some control over today and tomorrow. Give it like, bring it on. And I think that kind of plays into a lot of like the herbal supplement game is, um, we are very worried about aging. Um, we're very worried about um, declining. We're very sensitive to these topics. And I'm, obviously this is broad generalizations. Like I could speak for every American or every human on the <laughs> earth. But, yeah. but in our modern psyche, I mean, we're living longer than any other person has ever lived as far as a population in human history. Um, so we're more curious about how to prolong life because we know we can prolong life. And we know we can prolong cognitive function. Now, most of that was tied down to improved diets, the discovery of antibiotics, and just better medical technology. But maybe herbal supplements is that next frontier we're going to break into. So sure, I'll buy into it. I'll get some nootropic stuff delivered to me. And hopefully it says, hopefully it is what it actually says it is. And I will have better, better cognitive function because of it. <laughs> You know, it also, the, especially the nootropics, definitely speaks to this hyper-competitiveness that, that we also feel around the around the globe, right? I mean, there's, you know, um, I remember reading an article about, um, you know, amphetamine usage in, in investment banking. Oh, my, you know, yeah. On the, uh, this is pre-pandemic, because um, I think they have tried to combat this in recent years, but... You know, the article is saying that like, oh man, if you're, you know, if you're a young person working in investment banking and you're not doing something like Adderall, then you're going to, you're going to wash out. Like that's the only way to compete. Mm-hmm. And nootropics is, you know, also there's, you, you know, I, I think there's an intuition about this, but you know, more and more things are being released every year, how bad these drugs really are for us. Mm-hmm. And so people are trying to find natural ways to, you know, keep that cognitive edge, so to speak. That's a good point. Do you think some of this turn is because of, I think in general, we're aware that our world is more processed than ever. Like our food is more processed um, our media is more processed. Everything is more processed. Heck, our social dynamics are more processed because for the most part, you have to do them online. Um, <laughs> do you think that's part of why we 
like the idea of an herbal remedy, something that comes from the earth itself? I, I don't I don't know if I wanted to generalize. I can tell you for sure that I would fall into that category. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time really diving into, you know, the world of organics and sustainability and, you know, natural agriculture and permaculture. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, problems with, with living such a processed life, you Mm -hmm. know, that, um, you know, that's, (laughs) I, I was reading an article on BBC the other day about cottage core. Um, and it's this idea <laughs> of, you know, this, this like almost fetishization of, um, you know, English cottages with, uh, with stone walkways and, you know, uh, moss growing out of stone walls and, um, y- you know, nostalgic interior decorating and in this idea of calmness and peace and serenity in nature and, and I think that something something like that is just a is just pure reaction to, you know, this hyper modern lifestyle, this hyper processed lifestyle, this idea that it's so difficult just to get away from anything um anything processed. And this is kind of a, a little bit of a tangent here, but you know the the idea of of GMOs or gen- genetically modified um, organisms present in fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. which is essentially um, like modifying the DNA of fruits and vegetables in order to fulfill some purpose, like you know growth, resistance to pesticides, resistance to pests, uh, higher yields, all this stuff, mm-hmm. and. Um, there was a there was a time when I kind of thought that these GMOs were just absolutely evil, but there's a lot of real reasons behind them. Like GMOs have present prevented crop destruction in some parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I think it's a papaya um, in some island somewhere where uh, it was the primary crop. There was a disease. It was destroying papaya, and through GMOs, they were able to breed a a form of pie that was resistant to this, this disease and, you know, thus saved this <laughs> basically this way of life. Um, but then there's really negative things too, like GMO corn, um, grown in the U S they, they have bred this corn to be resistant to roundup. And so, you know, roundup is just sprayed all over this corn and literally everything else in this field cannot live. Yep. Nothing can live in this field besides the corn. And is is the fact that the DNA in that corn was altered, is that negative? Uh, probably not. Is the fact that we have dumped poison on this plant, the entire growth cycle, a bad thing? Uh, you know, I... My there gut aren't says studies yes. that say so. <laughs> yeah, my gut does too, because it like has a hard time digesting this corn. Um, but it... it it speaks to the, I guess, questionable, questionable nature of what is natural versus unnatural. Is unnatural necessarily a bad thing? I think inherently no, but it can be. Um, 
But when you're playing in that sphere, there's so much money at stake. And it is completely understandable why there would be distrust about GMOs because of the money that's at play in that in that world is it bad for you maybe maybe not but if it was there'd be a lot of money trying to convince us that it wasn't and so that distrust is kind of what pushes people towards these a desire at least for natural yeah. remedies supplements what have you that was very roundabout <laughs> no but I, I think you're tapping into it which is funny i mean it kind of brings up just this weird dichotomy in this the argument you set up of like yeah we're modifying these plants genetically sometimes it's not breeding sometimes it's literally splicing them and then um basically converting one seed and then going from there right um so it's not like you know mendel and he's you know carefully cultivating different crops through an old school process it's very cutting edge technology typically the way that they introduce like these dna or rna splices is they actually um introduce viruses (laughs) into these strains it's like really which is is i mean i've looked into this it's actually pretty safe but when you just say that you think like what you're doing what to my food (laughs) (laughs) right right yeah and so it seems so so like you're breaking natural law, like you're going against God's will. If you were in the right perspective, you would say that, you know, it's, Mm, it seems so wrong. Right. Whereas like, Oh, but this is an herbal supplement. It comes from, it's just ginkgo root and some other things. That's all it is. And it makes sense in your mind. It totally makes sense in my mind until I remember, I don't actually know that this pill is ginkgo root and there's no way for me to verify it pretty much. So Mm -hmm. I think, that's why where I find this conversation kind of ironic is that we always <laughs> want to believe that what we're doing is going to be good for us. Um, yeah. And pain, we will painfully convince ourselves of that truth. I mean, just look at any form of addiction, right? It's, it's built in the human psyche that we are able to be addicted to something because we think that we'll be better for it to some degree. And I'm not saying that herbal supplements are addictive or that it's that same psychology at play, but we're all exposed to this, right? Mm-hmm. So what do we what do we do with that information? Do you stop taking herbal supplements? Do you keep going? I mean, like as, as, the more you look, I'm going to rewind a bit. So Dave, like the more you've looked into this and kind of knowing this weird dichotomy, is this going to change your mind about what kind of supplements you're taking? I don't know if it will um, because the things that I do take, there are things that I take and I try and, you know, I, I can be pretty objective about how things, you know, um, actually cause changes within my, my mind. And there are things that don't work and there are things that I think do, whether that's placebo or not. I mean, frankly, there's really no way of telling. Um, and who cares anyways, if you think it's working, great. Right, right. 
Um, but but the, the simple fact remains there are things that have very, very powerful impacts that we just don't feel like studying. And I think psilocybin mushrooms is a great example because there's not a lot of st- there. I mean, there is slowly now, but there for a long time was not a lot of actual study done on psychedelic mushrooms. And yet anybody who's ever taken them will tell you definitively they do something to you for sure. And there, you know, the, the, and that's just a completely natural product, right? There's no, there's nothing going into that whatsoever. So, you know, do other types of mushrooms or plants or roots or whatever, do they have other impacts on our neural networks, our physiological, you know, mechanisms? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. We need to study them more. I don't know how we incentivize that. Well, federal deregulation of that point would help a little bit, but yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's still a scheduled drug, isn't it? I mean, marijuana is still a scheduled drug in this country on the federal level, and yet it's legal to consume in a growing number of states. Obviously, we're talking about psychoactive drugs, um, Mm -hmm. and which would the research indicates would have more profound effects on very needy people than marijuana ever could. Um, yeah, but psilocybin mushrooms and lion's mane mushrooms, right? Psilocybin has this very acute instantaneous impact. Psilocy- uh, uh, lion's mane mushrooms theoretically have some longer term cognitive benefits, mm-hmm. but they're harder to, they're harder to understand because they don't have this acute psychedelic impact the way that psilocybin mushrooms do. Right. Right. S- but you know, what if, uh, we start dumping money into this and we realize, wow, these things are incredibly beneficial. They can, I don't want to speculate, but just, you you know, let your mind run wild. Um, you just don't notice it right away when you take it, but, you know, you live on average 10 years longer, something like that. Right, I got you. It's, you know, we just need to... Well, okay, let me, let me, let me bring up something here. And unfortunately, if you're bored with history, this will bore you a bit. So, okay, 1300s, we start distilling basically herbs and making liquors and drinking them um, as remedies. Um, Let's fast forward to the gin craze in England, which is a really fascinating piece of history. But basically, um, the King of England, who was a Protestant, this is a key point in the story, we won't dive into why, but he's a Protestant. He basically outlaws French brandy and French wine, because France was Catholic at the time, and he was trying to really set England apart from the rest of the world as a Protestant nation. Now, there's a lot of other reasons he did this, but who cares? So, to counteract this, they started importing wine from Portugal, because you can't really effectively grow grapes in the British Isles. And then they basically opened up the taps and said, hey, if you want to distill gin, have at it. No regulations, do whatever you want to do. And so people did. And people drank a lot. And without the regulations, there was a lot of side effects. To the point where gin had to be made illegal for a period of time in England. So the even... Obviously, the people in this time in England, I think it was 17, early in 1700s, late 1600s, if I'm not mistaken, obviously their, their understanding of the scientific method is vastly different than ours. And I'm sure they weren't looking through manuscripts from the 1300s assessing the, you know, the health qualities of this drink. But they still 
out of this culture came the idea of like, yep, a little tipple in the morning is going to help you get through the day and it's going to keep away plague and it's going to be good for you. Even hundreds of years removed from the bubonic plague. So it's almost like it's an echo from the same idea, right? 1300s, they say booze is good for you. And then it just echoes on throughout time to the point where in many parts in this country to this day, it's like, yeah, I mean, have a hot toddy. If you're, um, if you have a cold, it'll help you fall asleep at night. The whiskey will be good for you. Like we still hold those ideas that somehow alcohol in the spirit form is good for us. So how long is it? And that took centuries. That's like centuries of human thought that all lines up. It all echoes off of each other. Same thing with herbal remedies. I mean, herbal remedies are not new. Western, or sorry, Chinese medicine, the traditional Chinese medicine practices are thousands of years old. And they basically include kind of the core ideas of the herbal herbal remedies that we're talking about right now. So it's like almost, it's not going to change. Herbal remedies are going to be around just like alcohol is always going to be around. Those are two pretty early on human ideas that, yes, consume these, they're good for you. That's why rational human beings can look at things with pretty limited or scant scientific evidence like echinacea, and say, you know what? Yes, COVID-19 is raging, but I'm taking my echinacea and it's boosting my immunity and it's keeping me healthy and it's keeping me from getting COVID-19. It's like it's like a, um, it's almost, it's a cognitive dissonance, but it's ignoring that cognitive dissonance because you just want so badly to believe that you have some kind of control. But, as long as you're not taking something that's toxic, I mean, <laughs> you know, maybe taking that daily echinacea pill, it's not doing something for your immunity, but it's doing something for your mental health, you know, and is that not just as important? Mm-hmm.